Thank you for the music. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Jonathan Mosen, and this is Mosen at Large, the show that's got the blind community talking. Today, Amazon removes some email functionality from its voice assistant, iPhone hints and tips, part two of our Chromebook review, a radio app for your Apple Watch, and more. Mosen at Large Podcast. Whether you're a first-time listener or a regular, welcome to you. It is great to have you here. I really appreciate you checking out the podcast, episode 156 this week. Wow. And I love putting this podcast together. It's my little weekend project. Sometimes I do a wee bit at nights over the week so that we have lots of material to bring you. But to be honest, it's a struggle today. It's a struggle because all I really want to do is put the new ABBA album on repeat. 40 years we've been waiting for this. 40 years. And we know it's going to be the last one. Benny and Bjorn from ABBA have been absolutely clear about this. This is the last ABBA album. And if you have access to good equipment that will give you the Dolby Atmos mixes, check it out and crank it up. Crank it up. Yes, exactly. Just like that. The Atmos mixes are very nice indeed. The whole album is a delight. Just wonderful and incredibly comforting in this turbulent 2021 to have ABBA back with us one last time. I'm just so grateful and thankful that they did that. As we mentioned on the Bonnie Bulletin last week, there is a Ministry for Disabled People being set up in New Zealand. It is due to be put in place by the 1st of July next year, so that's a pretty tight time frame, and there's a bit of media interest in this. I was interviewed for a show that's on Radio New Zealand, or RNZ as they call it these days, called The Detail. It seems to be quite widely listened to because I'm really pleasantly surprised by how much positive feedback I got on this. And the journalist, Sharon Brett Kelly, did a brilliant job. It's available as a podcast as well. If you're interested in some of the issues that we've been talking about over the months, things like the rampant use of ableist language in the media, the need for disabled people to have greater control over our own destinies, better representation in key institutions of change, it's all covered in this interview on the show called The Detail. So I will provide a link in the show notes to that podcast if you would like to listen. And I know there's a little bit of international interest in the concept of a ministry for disabled people in the way that it's being envisaged here in this country. One really cool thing that I appreciated about the interview on the detail was when I was talking about the rampant ableist language that we see in the media, they actually took a number of media pieces and stitched them together and just one after the other you hear examples of ableist language being used by the media all the time. So rather than me just referencing it, you actually get to hear it. And it was quite effective. And it's really positive to hear so many people saying, you know, we really didn't give this enough thought. And hopefully we are starting to see a bit of a sea change in terms of an awakening of the damage that ableist language does. Jonathan Mosen. Mosen at Large Podcast. Hey, Mr. Jonathan. My name is Rickson Smith. Last time I left a message on your thing, I was living in Chicago. Had to move out of there and living with family for temporary sick in a small town called Bedford, Indiana. A bit of history there is where they got the all the stone for the Capitol building and all the other buildings in Washington, D.C. So a little bit of history for you there. Anyways, calling to thank you for your in-depth tutorial on the Chromebook 
I am really looking forward to the next few tutorials that you do on that. I've been wanting to get away from the Apple ecosystem somewhat because of how controlling it is and things like that, but have been very concerned about how Google is very lax ethically about how they are lax sharing things from accounts and stuff, kind of like what Facebook does. But I'm also concerned about privacy concerned. Um, hopefully you'll touch on those in your later tutorials. Thanks again for all your hard work and uh, looking forward to such work like this last podcast you did. Thanks again. Well, thanks for calling in again, Rickson. And I hope everything's going well with all of your bold ambitions. Now you've made the big move and I know you had big plans and I'm keen to hear how all that works out for you. Mike Duke is writing in. So that's fantastic because Mike and I go back with Jay Doudner to the ACB radio days, the early days, and we would sit there. Jay and Mike were a dynamic duo long before I came along. And they did the sound for the ACB conventions. And they welcomed me into the fold when we started streaming them through ACB radio. And we had a lot of fun. Great couple of guys. And Mike Duke is writing in. He says, hi, Jonathan. When I saw in today's top tech tidbits email that you had a segment on the Chromebook in your current podcast, I grabbed it immediately. I bought an Acer model about three months ago but haven't done much with it beyond occasionally using it to check my office email remotely. Just on my initial skimming through the segments without the unit in front of me, I learned a lot. Very soon I will go through the tutorial hands-on and put it to real use. In other technology news, I am once again working from home. In early July, there was a roof leak at my office. When maintenance went up to check on it, they happened to notice that a corner of one of the structures that housed the air handlers was sinking into the roof. There are 10 of these structures, each weighing at least 5,000 pounds. So out of the building we went until they could be secured enough to begin the replacement work. The replacement of the roof and the structures should begin next week, so I look to be out of the office through Christmas. I've had great fun telling people that I am working from home due to gravity. Amazingly, when I explain it, not one person thus far has suggested that I deny science. I am using the remote control function of System Access and the Serotech network to control my station playlist machine. That allows me to keep the audio current, tweak the schedule, and even restart the machine if necessary. Thank you very much, Mike, and it's great to hear from you. I would be interested to know, and I could go to the source actually in the near future and maybe ask this question, what the advantages are of using the Serotech solution over Microsoft Remote Desktop, which is what I'm using to maintain the Mushroom Pot machine that powers Mushroom FM on those occasions when I need to remote into it. It's built into the operating system, and it also works really well with JAWS. I guess if you're not a JAWS user, I get that, because Microsoft Remote Desktop is not available for all screen readers. But that's an interesting thing to explore, and maybe I will ask that question, or maybe somebody out there has some insights into that. Good luck with the office renovations, Mike, and I hope that the Chromebook review is what you need it to be. Lena says, thank you so much for the Chromebook review. I am delighted that you are giving us such detail. I have a friend who has many disabilities and she has missed being able to check email and do Google searches 
since she got laid off from work before March 2020. There are some amazing deals on Chromebooks right now, and she is able to afford one. This weekend, I will be working with her to set it up and teach her to use it. Your Chromebook review couldn't have come at a better time. I'm looking forward to part two, says Lena. Well, stand by, Lena, because it's coming up. Coming up, as the Americans like to say, momentarily. (laughs) There were some stats that came out earlier in the week that shows that the Chromebook boom is over, though. You will recall in part one, I was talking about the explosive growth in Chromebook shipments. But in Q3 of this year, they are way down. So I guess as people return to some degree of normality in some parts of the world... Chromebooks are not the big thing that they used to be, but they will remain popular in education. And I think they will be popular for those such as the person that Lena describes, who has a fixed income, wants to be online and can afford to get one themselves. Digital poverty is a real issue. Digital exclusion is a real issue. And if you've got a viable solution that's within someone's price point, that's really worth exploring. And we will do that again shortly. So thank you, Lena. Be the first to know what's coming in the next episode of Mosin at Large. Opt in to the Mosin media list and receive a brief email on what's coming so you can get your contribution in ahead of the show. You can stop receiving emails anytime. To join, send a blank email to media-subscribe at mosin.org. That's media-subscribe at M-O-S-E-N dot org. Stay in the know with Mosin at Large. Chabo is writing in from Botswana and says, I really, really enjoyed your conversation with the guys who create Voxmate. That is such a wonderful app to play around with. However, poor me, Voxmate is not available in the Botswana Play Store hopefully with time. Well, I would definitely suggest contacting Voxmates and seeing if they know about that, whether it's some sort of deliberate strategy. It may just be that they need to push a few buttons and submit it there. He continues, now let's talk about what I use my Echo Dot for. And there's a list. Email reading and replying. The soup drinker reads and replies to what's in my email address, so I enjoy the benefit of attending to my emails hands-free. We'll come back to this in a minute. Two, make notices and set reminders. With this virtual world full of meetings and webinars, the soup drinker serves me right. Three, at times I do not need a bit of music different from the one I am subscribed to and I just ask the soup drinker to sing to me. On this point, you can also ask the soup drinker to tell you a poem. Four, you can have a somewhat live chat with the soup drinker. Of course, it is not a live chat, but you can just tell her the topic you'd like to talk about, such as movies or music. Then she will ask you continuous questions on that. Then you can have an ongoing conversation. To get that, just say to the soup drinker, let's chat. She will then open one of the social bot skills. Well, of course, it's interesting that people assign genders to these virtual assistants because mine now has the wonderful male voice, which I far prefer on my soup drinker. Five games. There are several games such as the Beach Tycoon that Mr. Hamilton can play Uh, Oh, Mr. Hamilton. He's referring to Dean Charlton from Hamilton. I was wondering who Mr. Hamilton was. You know, Dean lives in Hamilton in New Zealand, but his name is Mr. Charlton. Anyway, can play with the soup drinker. Six, sounds. 
he may ask the soup drinker to play rain sounds. And why stop there? Because you can play cat sounds, car sounds, animal sounds, sleep sounds, etc. 7. I'm thankful my religion, Jehovah's Witnesses, has a soup drinker enabled skill for our material, such as the Watchtower, monthly broadcasting, the Bible, our music, and all that. So I do use my Echo Dot for that as well in any language that the skill has. 8. Talking of language, one thing I usually do with my soup drinker is to ask her phrases in various languages. 9. Whisper mode. Ooh, that's creepy, isn't it? At times, I just decide to whisper with the soup drinker just for the fun of it. 10. Last but not least, cooking recipes. I just ask the soup drinker what's for dinner, then she will give me a huge list of recipes for me to make my pick. So really, Mr. Mosin, he says, there's really much that Mr. Hamilton, this is Mr. Charlton, can do with his found friend, the soup drinker, through the Echo Dot. Before I close, I wish to inform you, Jonathan, that I am working on a big project with a certain company called Rams Recreational. It deals with robotic inventions, and they are now working on something big for the blind community. Perhaps it'd be nice if you talk to them one day. Yes, by all means, have them contact me when ready. We'll take a look at it. Thank you, Jonathan, and thank you so much, valuable audience, for the comments you always make. I learn a lot from you. Well, thank you for writing in from Botswana. It's wonderful to hear from you. And let's just circle back to one of those items on the list about what people do with their soup drinker-enabled device, such as the Echo Dot or any Echo, and there is the soup drinker built into many devices these days, including Sonos products, optionally, and Bose products, and a lot of other things. There was an announcement that came through earlier in the week that caught people by surprise in which Amazon has said that they are going to be discontinuing email support for the soup drinker. Now, I got this email and Brian Gaff has also written into me about this. The email says that from the 8th of November, so very, very shortly, they were really quick about this. You will not be able to link your Google or Microsoft account for email. The email stresses that if you use your calendar functionality from your Google or Microsoft account with the soup drinker, that is still going to continue. I have from time to time used this with my Microsoft account, but not with any other of my accounts which use IMAP. So the email was very clear that you can't use this as of the 8th of November to work with email from Gmail or Microsoft but I don't know whether it's continuing for general IMAP accounts or whether it ever did support those. So if you use this feature with an IMAP account, let me know whether it does work and whether it still works after the 8th of November. But there's no doubt that if you use Gmail or Microsoft accounts, and that's a lot of people who choose to use email with them, then you are going to lose this functionality. I remember reading in 2018 when this feature came online that what happens is that emails are retrieved from your server and stored in Amazon's cloud somewhere. And it sounds like, I'm just theorizing here, that this move is a privacy-related issue, that Amazon is being pinged perhaps by Microsoft and or Gmail for storing people's email in a separate service in the Amazon cloud. But I guess that is something that users have opted into presumably knowingly and willingly. So how does this affect you? 
Do you use this email feature that they're taking away from the soup drinker and how do you feel about that? Isn't it interesting that this has come so close to Apple's problems with email reading by Siri? But I think that is absolutely coincidental. In Siri's case, it was all about the change to more offline processing and the email seemed to be collateral damage. They now have addressed that. So if you've got any views on this, by all means, be in touch. Let's talk Apple things, as we often do, and start off with an email from Lindy, who says, Hello, Jonathan, I was interested in your answers to Hiya Simkin's question about keeping the iPhone locked or not. You commented that you set up new iPhones with the automatic locking screen turned off. Is this just when using GPS? I'm wondering, firstly, how you manually lock the screen and realize that this is probably a very basic skill but I don't really know how to do it. Secondly, if the screen is unlocked at other times, voiceover tends to be constantly chattering, i.e. if the phone is up against other services. So, is turning the locking off when using GPS or at all times? Otherwise, there is constant audible feedback. And if not, what am I missing? Thanks again for your informed tech advice and uninhibited expression of your opinions. I always learn something. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much, Lindy. To lock the screen, all you have to do is tap the side button. Just give it a tap. So that's the same button that you use to invoke Siri. That will lock the screen. You tap the side button again to wake it up. So it's a toggle. And though I always have my automatic screen locking disabled. I don't like the screen locking just because I haven't touched the screen for a while. If I want to lock the screen, then I'll just tap the power button and lock it whenever I want to do it. But I don't want the phone timing out. In fact, when I'm in my office and the phone is just sitting here on my desk, I leave the phone unlocked all day long. Now, I have my brightness, as I said last time we talked about this, set to 0%. I also have my screen curtain on. There is some debate about whether screen curtain makes a difference. On the older devices, Apple were really clear that it definitely didn't. But there is some suggestion that on newer devices, actually having screen curtain on can save battery life. And why not? I don't need the screen, so I'll have screen curtain on just in case. And I just have the phone sitting here. It is on. It's awake. It never powers off unless I press the button. And I find that great because I just hear notifications as they come in. If I want to reply, I don't have to unlock the screen and use Face ID or anything like that. I just do it. And the phone sits here unlocked on my desk all day long. And I love it that way. And I would never want to go back to the automatic locking of the screen. And I often walk around with my phone this way. I carry my phone in my shirt pocket. It's unlocked. It's not rubbing against anything. And it just means that I can actually use the phone at any time with it in my pocket to get information. And it just gets piped straight to my made for iPhone hearing aids. And I don't have to take the phone out of my pocket and unlock it with Face ID. This next email reads, Hi, Jonathan. It's Peter from Robin Hood County. I hope you and your family are all well at this time. I'm listening to the episode yesterday. There was a lady looking to do more shortcuts using Siri. Well, I listened to another podcast called iOS Today Audio, and there is a section in that podcast called Shortcuts Corner. The two presenters, Micah Sargent and Rosemary Orchard, do a grand job on all iOS-related issues. 
There is also a book called Apple Script 123, and I got that from a podcast called A Automators. Hope this helps. Thanks very much, Peter. Yes, I think that Iwana's comment was that iOS had made some accessibility regressions with respect to shortcuts. So she knows what she's doing, but she's just having some issues executing it because of some accessibility problems that have crept in. But there's some good hints there for those who want to know more about shortcuts. I'm not familiar with either of those podcasts, but I have read some of Rosemary Orchard's work before. I believe she was one of the authors of a really good book that I read about OmniFocus, which is an amazing task manager app, very powerful. And she co-wrote a book on making the most of OmniFocus. So she really knows her stuff. Here's Marissa back again. And she says, hi, Mr. Mosin. You know, we've been chatting so long on this show, Marissa. We're probably on a first name basis right now. Because Mr. Mosin, that was my dad's name, you see. Anyway, she says, this issue has been going on for me for quite some time both on iPhone and iPad Pro 10.5 inch. I sometimes use Siri to send messages to people who have iPhones and others who don't. I will ask Siri to send a specific contact a message indicating a mobile number. It will ask, are you ready to send it? I, of course, answer yes. Then the message I send is sent as an iMessage. It should not as these people do not have any Apple devices whatsoever. I have spoken to Apple Accessibility, as I primarily use VoiceOver. They had me submit screen recordings, screenshots, and system logs. Well, Marissa, the only time I have personally seen this is when somebody had an iPhone at one point, and then they got rid of their iPhone and they went to Android, But Apple still has in their records, as it were, the fact that a particular phone number is associated with an iMessage. Now, if that happens, you have to get in touch with the person who once had the iPhone and say to them, you need to tell Apple that you don't have an iPhone anymore. And there's a process that you can go through which deregisters your number or disassociates your number from iMessage. The other thing it is worth checking is that you have SMS enabled. So if you go into settings on your iPhone and then you scroll all the way down past the squillions of options until you get to messages, do make sure that the send as SMS option is on. If it's off, then this will be a cause of the problem and turning it on should fix it. But if that option is on and if the person that you are texting has never had an Apple device, then I do not know. It is not something that I have personally seen, but has anybody else? Let's see if anyone can come through and tell us what's going on there. Hi, Jonathan and friends across the world. This is Ross Winetsky calling from New Mexico in the United States. I have a problem with my iPhone that's kind of spooky, just a little after uh, Halloween here. I had an iPhone 11. It was given to me by a federal program called I Can Connect. It was given to people um, that are blind and also have hearing loss. And I, on this 11, whenever I would make a call, it would, at the beginning of the call, if actually I made it out or if somebody called me, there would be this kind of rhythmic dropout, like boop, 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 and it would be like, hi, are you... Go where are 
And I would actually, believe it or not, with a digital phone, shake it, and eventually, maybe 30 seconds to a minute, I would get a good connection if the person hadn't hung up. So this went on and on and on. We kept writing to I Can Connect, and they went, well, we haven't heard of this. Finally, they were convinced because some of the people who administer the program actually heard it happening. And so they did send me an iPhone 12, and I downloaded everything from the cloud, and guess what? It's now doing it on my iPhone 12. What? There are only two reasons that I can think of it happening, and after talking also to Apple Accessibility. One is that somewhere in my software, there was a glitch that got transferred from the cloud. The other possibility, and maybe even more likely, is that I use Comcast uh, for my provider, and in this location, maybe it's just that their towers are doing this. But I was wondering if you knew anything or had any guesses what might be causing this, or if any of your uh, listeners might, because it's a real pain in the soup. Oh, what language. So thank you so much, and look forward to talking to you all again. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. That does sound frustrating, but there is one way that you can rule out the first possibility, which is that some sort of glitch has been inherited by your iPhone 12, and that is just reset the thing and run it from scratch. Just make the most basic of settings, set voiceover up so that the speech is at the rate that you like, and then make a couple of calls. If you find that the glitch is no longer present, then that validates option one, doesn't it? And you can then go ahead and just take some time to set everything up from scratch again, but at least it will have gotten rid of the glitch. If you happen to know somebody who has an iPhone as well, maybe get them over and see if they experience the same thing at your location, because if they do, then we get on to option two, And it could be a coverage issue. When you check the status bar at the top of your screen, how many bars of signal are you getting from your cell service? If you've got one bar or even two bars, possibly, then that would validate that option to some degree as well, potentially. If that is a problem, then obviously talk to the carrier about coverage. But you may be able to invoke Wi-Fi calling, enable that, and you'll use your Wi-Fi even for cellular calls, and that could clear the issue up. So happy troubleshooting. hate those sorts of issues. For all things Mosin at large, check out the website, where you can listen to episodes online, subscribe using your favourite podcast app, and contact the show. Just point your browser to podcast.mosin.org. That's podcast.mosen.org. Let's talk games. Is there any more fun a subject than that? And this email says, Hi, my name is Grace. First, I love the show you produce. Thank you, Grace. I was wanting to write in on Bop It. I'm a blind teenager and love the game. To some people, this might seem weird, but I have almost every version of it ever released. (laughs) I am still looking for the original from 1996 and the Bop It download. Oh, well, I should send you our Bop It download, Grace. No, I'd miss it too much, even though it's got some accessibility issues. Grace continues, yes, I am blind, but I have light perception, and I really am into coding and tech and think I could do it. I know you need Windows XP to get the software to work, so three cheers for VMware Player. A quick note, the Bop It download is not sold here in the USA, but I found some on eBay. 
Well, I didn't know that it's not sold in the USA. We're very lucky. We just walked down the street and picked it up when it came out. All the modern boppets, says Grace, are accessible, but try to avoid the boppet smash from 2012 and the boppet Tetris from 2013. They both use LED lights only. I do not know why. Anyway, I have a question for you, Jonathan. In the original Boppet and the Boppet Extreme, if the batteries go low, sometimes when you turn it on, you get a weird noise, which is just a sign of a small malfunction. Have you ever heard it? It sure scared me the first time. I will attach a small clip of that. It is so rare that it has only happened to me twice. I actually got permission to access someone else's clip because it's so hard to get working, or um, not working. It's also only on the Boppet original and extreme. Also, the last thing I want to say about Boppet is that it is very popular for anyone who has blindness. I play with them a lot, and would almost want to say, I am the Boppet champion. (laughs) I hope you are having a great day, and I am sorry about how poorly I spell. I am using Braille screen input on an iPhone and struggle greatly with spelling to begin with. It is not because I am blind. My motto is blind can do anything. I hope you remember that. Well, I certainly agree with you, Grace. Thank you for writing all of that out using Braille screen input. And a little hint, in case you're not aware of it, what you can do when you've finished composing your Braille screen input magnum opuses. What's the plural of magnum opus? Maybe it's magnum opi. Anyway, what you can do, Grace, is you can rotor out of the Braille screen input and find the misspelled words option on your rotor and flick up and down. And when you find a misspelling, you can flick right to scroll through the corrections and double tap the correction that you want. But thank you for your very interesting email. I am not aware of a boppet that you can play with someone online, but maybe there is by now. It's been some years since we bought any boppet games, so we'll have to leave you unchallenged as the world blind boppet champion. And here, an exclusive on Mosin at Large, is that sound that Grace referred to. Ah, oh my word. Oh, that is horrible. Ah. Don't let the battery run down. Now, this email comes from Petra, who I'm sure she won't mind me saying is not a blind teenager. I'm sure that won't cause any offence. <laughs> Petra says, Hi, Jonathan and Bonnie. There is a game called Connect 4, which is totally accessible. I don't remember which of the stores I got it from because I've had it for years. Ah, that does bring back great memories, Petra. I used to play Connect 4 with the kids. And actually, one memory I do have that's really nice is that when we were living in Whanganui, running the ACB radio, I got visited by this school child who was working on a project. What kind of project would it have been? Some sort of design project at high school. And he had decided, what about making a game of Connect 4 for blind people? And I think the accessible Connect 4 that we had came from the RNIB in the UK. But I said to him, sure, you know, I'll be your guinea pig. I'll be your prototype because he had thought this up himself. He had a regular game of Connect 4 and he suddenly thought, how could blind people play this? And so he decided to design it himself. And he came up with this really good version of Connect 4 where the pieces were tactually distinctive. And it was just a really nice thing to be involved in and he was a really great kid, actually, who who made that. And Petra also says, another game I have, I think, is called Othello. 
which is played with black and white checker-like discs, which are textured differently to differentiate. There are also devices which allow you to play a game with the soup drinker. Yeah, I think they're just called buttons, aren't they? We got some of these, but we don't use them much, actually. We couldn't find that many games that were that exciting. I think we found one trivia game, and we played that. Pedro continues, I have four of these. Yeah, we do too. But you can get as few as two if that's the number of people you think you will play against. The soup drinker asks questions, and the first person who taps their button scores the point. Well, assuming they get the answer right, of course. Yeah, the game I play the most with family and friends, says Petra, is called Packady. It doesn't seem to be manufactured anymore, but it can be found online. You need to braille with an uppercase B, the cards yourself, and either use braille dice, trust your playmates, or you can have the soup drinker roll the dice for you. The game has a deck of cards with numbers from 2 to 12, but there is no 7. All cards are dealt out evenly until you can't give everyone another card. I mean that you might have a few cards left that are not dealt. A player rolls the dice, and if they roll the number 4 and have a number 4 card, they can play it and roll again. If they do not, everyone else who has the 4 can play theirs, and the dice go to the next player. The object is to run out of cards first. If the number seven is rolled, of course, no one has it. So everyone has to put a penny in the pot and the turn moves on. There are parkety cards in the deck. If you have a parkety card, you can play it instead of the penny. Every time seven is rolled, the price goes up until it reaches seven cents. It never goes higher than that. Everyone starts out with two quarters, four dimes, five nickels, and ten pennies. You lose if you run out of money, even if you still have cards in your hand. It sounds more complicated than it is, says Petra, but once we played it, it became the most popular game we play. It's fun because it doesn't matter if the other players know what cards you are holding, because it depends on the roll of the dice. That means children can play also with someone to help them. The player who runs out of cards first wins the pot. Oh, very nice. Can you play with real money? I have an accessible chess, backgammon and cribbage board too, says Petra. I don't know how to play cribbage though. I love games. Oh, me too, Petra. That sounds like a lot of fun. By the way, she says, I can't get the soup drinker to play your podcast, but it plays very well on Apple Podcasts. I enjoyed episode 155, especially the share play. Chromebooks sound interesting also. Thank you. Well, thank you, Petra. There is a knack, there is a syntax to making the soup drinker play Mosin at Large, and it is simply to say, play the podcast Mosin at Large with Jonathan Mosin, and you can add a service if you want, like on Apple Music, and it will work. Play the podcast Mosin at Large with Jonathan Mosin. Works every time. As we continue our tutorial and review of a Google Chromebook, we're going to take a look at a few more accessibility settings first. But to get there, I need to introduce how you launch apps, how you navigate the Chromebook beyond the Chrome browser that pops up when you first run the device. 
Going to the launcher is analogous to pressing the Windows key on a Windows PC and activating the start menu and then allowing you to navigate the taskbar. To do that, we press Alt-Shift-L for launcher. I'll press that now. Launcher. Button. Shelf. Toolbar. Window. Press search plus space to activate. We're presently on the shelf and you can customize the shelf. This is a little bit like pinning apps to the taskbar in Windows. Many of us pin applications that we use regularly to the taskbar in Windows because they're easy to get to that way. There are shortcut keys that you can use to launch them. You can do similar things in Chrome OS. And a little bit later, we'll go through customizing the shelf so that your Chromebook can look and feel the way that you want. But if I navigate the shelf at the moment to see what Chrome OS has put here. Google Chrome. Button. YouTube. Button. Duo. Button. Google Duo, for those not familiar with it, is a VoIP application for audio and video. And you can also make group calls. There is a webcam on this Chromebook. So it's a really good way to communicate with people. And Google Duo is available on a range of devices, including iOS. Play Store. Button. Web Store. Button. That's what's on the shelf. Next, if I go right, we'll get to the status tray. Status tray. Time 2359. Battery at 89%. Connected to Manand Wi-Fi 5G. Strong signal. Comma. 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 Using English US. Button. Window. Press search plus space to activate. This is a little bit like the system tray in Windows. We can see a bunch of information Status here. Status tray. Time zero hundred. And it's just ticked over. Oh, it's a brand new day. Look at that. So that's the status tray. I'll go back, right? Launcher. Button. And we're back on the launcher. I'm going to press the search key with the space bar to activate the launcher. Sticky mode disabled. Search your device. Apps. Settings and web. Use the arrow keys to navigate your apps. Edit text. Launcher. Partial view. Window. This is very similar to the start menu key in Windows now that we're in the launcher and you can type what you are looking for. It could be a particular setting. It could be the name of an app and the search will narrow down to help you find it. Because this is a Google product, you can actually also perform a Google search from here. I'm going to navigate right. Settings. Button. And because I have recently been in settings, Settings has come up here in the launcher. That's actually where I want to be. So we'll go there, but we'll come back and explore the launcher and other apps that you can go to later in this review. Settings, 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 heading one, banner, search settings, search. Now I believe I have sticky mode on. So if I press H. Network, heading two, Bluetooth, heading connected devices, people. I'm pressing H to navigate by heading. Device. Heading to. And we'll have a look at some of these other settings a bit later. Personalization. Heading to. Search engine. Heading to. Apps. Developers. Advanced. Collapsed. Button. Settings. And it's wrapped around. I believe accessibility is actually under advanced, which is collapsed. So I'll press shift with H to go back. Advanced. And expand that. Advanced. Expanded. Button. Let's see if there are other headings now. Date and time. Privacy and languages and files, printing, accessibility. And there we go. That's what I want. Get image descriptions from Google. Toggle button. Not pressed. If an image doesn't have a useful description, Chrome will try to provide one for you. To create descriptions, 
Images are sent to Google. Press search plus space to toggle. A very good hint there that tells you what this feature does. And if you are a Google Chrome user on other platforms, you will have seen this where Google is using some artificial intelligence to try and describe images for you that don't have any useful alt text. This is off at the moment. And for now, I will leave it off. Always show accessibility options in the system menu. Toggle button. Not pressed. Press search plus space to toggle. I would quite like that, and so I will toggle that on. Always show accessibility options in the system menu. Toggle button. Pressed. And keep going. Manage accessibility features. Enable accessibility features. Subpage button. That's what I want to do. Go in here and turn a particular feature that interests me on. So I will press this button. Manage accessibility. And we'll navigate. Manage accessibility features. Enable accessibility features to make your device easier to use. Learn more. Link. Text to speech. Heading 2. Enable Chromebox spoken feedback. Toggle button. Pressed. Open Chromebox settings. Link. Enable select to speak. Toggle button. Not pressed. Text to speech voice settings select and customize text to speech voices. Sub display. Heading 2. Use high contrast mode. Toggle button. Not pressed. Enable full screen magnifier. Toggle button. Not pressed. Enable docked magnifier. Toggle button. Not pressed. Open display device settings allows you to adjust your screen resolution. Subpage button. Open appearance settings customize your text size. Link. Keyboard and text input. Heading 2. Enable sticky keys to perform keyboard shortcuts by typing them sequentially. Toggle button. Not pressed. Enable on-screen keyboard. Toggle button. Not pressed. What I'm actually aiming to do is to try and set dictation up. And one way to do that is actually to enable the on-screen keyboard. But there is another way as well. And I'll continue and try and get that going. Enable dictation. Speak to type. Toggle button. Not pressed. Send your voice to Google to allow dictation into any text field. That's what I'd like to try and get going. So I'm going to press this button. Enable dictation. Speak to type. Toggle button. Pressed. Send your voice. That's done that. Highlight the object with keyboard focus when it changes. Toggle button. Not pressed. Highlight the text caret when it appears or moves. Toggle button. Not pressed. Navigate pages with a text cursor. Toggle button. Not pressed. Switch access control the computer with just one or two switches. Toggle button. Not pressed. Open keyboard device settings allows you to adjust your keyboard repeat rate, word prediction and more. Mouse and touchpad. Heading 2. Automatically click when the cursor stops. Toggle button. Not pressed. Show large mouse cursor. Toggle button. Not pressed. Cursor color. Black default button. Highlight the mouse cursor when it's moving. Toggle button. Not pressed. Open mouse and touchpad device settings allows you to enable slash disable tap to click and tap dragging. Navigate home or back and switch apps with buttons in tablet mode. Turned on when Chromebox or automatic clicks is enabled. Learn more. Link. Show navigation buttons. Toggle button. Pressed. Audio and captions. Heading to. Captions. Subpage button. Play the same audio through all speakers, mono audio. Toggle button. Not pressed. Play sound on startup. Toggle button. Not pressed. 
Now, that is actually quite handy. I like that idea because it just gives me some added confirmation that the device is working just in case something goes wrong with Chromevox. So I'm going to enable this in the same way that I also have the Windows startup sound turned on on all my computers. Play sound on startup. Toggle button. Pressed. Add additional features. Open Chrome Web Store. Add additional features. Link. Settings. And now that noise indicates that we've wrapped around. So there is a good list of accessibility features in Chrome OS and I have enabled dictation. You'll note that there's no OK button or anything like that. I can just close this window by pressing Control with W. Toolbar. And we're back to where we were before on the launcher. Having done that, what we've done is set up dictation. And what that should mean is that you can press the search key with D for dictation in any edit field, and you'll hear a sound, and you can dictate. And if you've ever experienced dictation with Google, you'll know how fast and accurate it is. Unfortunately, I can't get this to work when Chromevox is running. So for now, at the time of this recording, the only way that I've been able to get it to work is to turn Chromevox off once you have focus in the edit field by pressing Ctrl-Alt-Z and then pressing Search with D to start your dictation and off you go. Now, you do have to speak quite quickly after the tone or the thing will time out. But that's a little bit of a fiddly way of doing it. I have reported this and apparently it's being investigated. But for now, I'm not aware of another workaround to get dictation done using this dictation method. It is still pretty worth doing, though, because the dictation is good. It's accurate. It's fast. And once we start looking at applications to use with your Chromebook, we might take a look at this in greater depth and just demonstrate how it works. But I did want to get that accessibility feature enabled as we traverse the settings. Let's go back into settings and have a look at some other non-accessibility-related settings that you can configure in your Chromebook before we really start getting into applications and using this for practical purposes. Launcher. Button. I'll press search with space to open the launcher. Search your device. Apps. And search with right. Settings. There's settings there, so we'll activate that by pressing search with space. Settings. 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 Heading 1. There's quite a list of settings. These are divided by headings. I'll just make sure that sticky mode is on. Sticky mode enabled. There we go. And now I'll just press H to navigate by heading. Network. Heading 2. Exited banner. Main. What we've done by pressing H to navigate to the first heading on the page is to skip past a set of links at the top of the page. Some of these links are same page links, so they will take you to other places on this page. Others may open subscreens. I'm going to press the right arrow since I now have sticky mode on to just have a look at some of these network settings. Wi-Fi. Subpage button. Menandwifi 5G Wi-Fi network. Signal strength 93%. Press search plus space to activate Wi-Fi subpage button. Now, just to speed the process up, I will press the control key to silence those hints and just move us along a little bit. But that subpage button means that when I press search with space or just the space bar, when sticky mode is on, we will go to a separate screen and there'll be configuration settings. These are what you would expect. You can see visible Wi-Fi networks. Very similar to the way that we got the Chromebook configured. You can also connect to non-visible networks or the usual network settings. Nothing particularly unusual about that screen. 
Wi-Fi enable. Toggle button. Pressed. You can disable Wi-Fi altogether, which you may want to do in certain circumstances if you're on an airplane or something like that. Add network connection. Collapsed. Button. Bluetooth. Heading to. The devices are Bluetooth capable, and now we're into the Bluetooth section, which as you can hear, you can also navigate to by heading. Bluetooth. Subpage button. On. Since we haven't investigated Bluetooth yet, let's go into the subpage. Bluetooth subpage back button. Click to navigate away from Bluetooth subpage. Main. Let's navigate to the right. Bluetooth. Heading 1. Bluetooth enable. Toggle button. Pressed. Paired devices. Heading 2. No paired devices. If you wanted to pair another Bluetooth keyboard or perhaps a headset, a Bluetooth speaker, any of those things, then you can do that from here. Unpaired devices. Heading 2. No Bluetooth devices found. Settings. Bluetooth. And now we've wrapped around. So at the moment, because there are no other devices, it's fairly simple. I'm going to press the equivalent of F1, and that should be the back button. That should take us back. Bluetooth. Subpage button. On. And indeed it has. And the cool thing, too, is that focus has been remembered. So I press the back button. And I'm now on the Bluetooth button, which means I don't have to navigate around the screen to find where I was before. I'll navigate right. Bluetooth enable. Toggle button. Pressed. Connected devices. Heading to. So what we had there was the Bluetooth button. It's just there on this screen to very quickly toggle Bluetooth on and off in case you don't want to go into all the granularity of looking at various devices that you have. Now we're on to connected devices. And I'll press right. Android phone. No eligible devices. Find out more. Link. A Chromebook is a Google device. And similarly, of course, a Mac is an Apple device. And if you have a device like this, then they will want you to be deeply embedded in their ecosystem. So there are things that you can do with your Android phone if you have one and a Chromebook. And you can connect the two together You can control some of the phone functions from your Chromebook, including text messages and an increasing number of functions, actually. So if you have an Android phone, it's worth looking at all that you can do when you meld an Android phone and a Chromebook together. Interestingly, though, Windows and Android are talking quite nicely to one another as well. And you will see in the My Phone app in Windows an increasingly strong partnership between Microsoft and Google in terms of making Android phones work seamlessly with Windows. I guess that both see it as an advantage to offer these features to compete with things like Handoff, which works so seamlessly in the Apple world. We'll go right. People. Heading to. Now we're in the people section. Google accounts. Subpage button. Jonathan Mosen. And there's my Google account. You can set up multiple Google accounts on this device. And that means that multiple people can use it. So I, for example, could set up Bonnie's Google account on the Chromebook and I could sign out. She could log in as her and all of her settings would be preserved all the way down to her speech preferences in Chromevox and email accounts, documents, the whole caboodle. So it really does feel like when you log in with another user that it's somebody else's Chromebook. It's a really easy thing to set up. And it's very easy to sign out of your Google account. Probably the easiest way is to just tap the power button. And in the same way that a lot of computers have a system where you tap the power button and you get a little menu that pops up with 
shut down and restart. The Chromebook works the same way. And one of the options is to sign out from your Google account. When you do that, the computer doesn't power down because you're given the opportunity to sign in as someone else. Now, while I remember to mention this, when you sign out of a Google account, you can also perform a function known as power washing your Chromebook. And what you do is when you're signed out, you can press from that screen, Control, Alt, Shift, and R. And when you do that, you're taken through a process where you can erase your Chromebook completely and set it up as if it were a brand new device. And it was that power wash feature that allowed me to start off as if this Chromebook were new for this review, even though I've been using it for a few weeks to come up to speed before recording these segments. So let's go into the screen and take a look at what's here. Sign in has changed. Sign in has changed. Heading 1. View accounts. Button. Sign in has changed. Sign in has changed. You can now manage all of your Google accounts in one place. Access and permissions that you've granted to apps. Websites and extensions in Chrome and Google Play may now apply to all of your signed-in accounts. Learn more. Link. View accounts. Button. So you can investigate this if you want to. I'm going to press the back button. And in this case, the back button is not doing anything. So I'll press escape. My accounts subpage back button. And that did work. My accounts. Manage your signed in accounts. Websites. Apps and extensions in Chrome and Google Play may use these accounts. Accounts. Heading to. Add account. Button. Primary account. Jonathan Moses. There we go. That's the primary account, but we can add a second one. Settings. And that's what there is here. So now I should be able to press the back button. Google accounts. Subpage button. We're back exactly where we need to be with focus on the last thing that we were focused on when we were on this screen. So I'll navigate right. Sync and Google services. Subpage button. Let's open the screen to take a look at what our options are. Sync and Google services subpage back button. Sync and Google services. Heading one. Learn more. Link. Sync. Heading two. Manage what you sync. Subpage button. Control how your browsing history is used to personalize search, ads, and more. Link. Review your sync data. Link. Encryption options for added security. Google Chrome will encrypt your data. Collapsed. Button. Other Google services. Heading 2. Autocomplete searches and URLs. Toggle button. Pressed. Help improve Chrome's features and performance. Toggle button. Pressed. Make searches and browsing better. Toggle button. Pressed. Enhanced spell check. Toggle button. Not pressed. To fix spelling errors, Chrome sends the text that you type in the browser to Google. Google Drive search suggestions. Toggle button. Pressed. Setting. And then it's wrapped around. So I'm going to just take a look at the manage what you sync feature and see what we have control over there. So we've got the defaults set here at the moment. And they are quite data centric. I think that we are sending quite a lot of data to Google at the moment. People will have varying levels of comfort with that. And you should go in here and set these in a manner that you are comfortable with. Settings. Search settings. Search. If I just navigate away from this edit field. Network. Now I should, because I'm in sticky mode, be able to press the letter B to find the button I'm looking for. Advanced. Sync and Google services subpage back button. 
And again, encryption options, auto complete searches, help improve, make searches and enhanced spell check, Google Drive, and auto completes encryption options. Sync and Google services subpage back button. That's interesting. It's skipping over the manage what you sync option, even though the Chromebook says it's a button. So I'm not sure what's up with that, but I will find Learn it. Learn more. Sync. Manage what you sync. By navigating the ordinary way, and we'll press space on this. Manage what you sync subpage back button. And go right. Click manage what you sync. Heading one. Learn more. Link. Radio button selected. One of two. Sync everything. Radio button group. That's the default, and it is selected for now. But if you want to get more granular, let's go right. Sync everything. Radio button unselected. Two of two. Customize sync. We need to check this radio button before we can see what we can customize. Radio button selected. Two of two. And now we can write arrow. Customize sync. Sync data. Heading two. Exited radio button group. Apps. Apps. Toggle button. Pressed. Bookmarks. Bookmarks. Toggle. Extensions. Extend. History. History. Settings. Setting. Theme and wallpaper. Theme and open tabs. Open tabs. Passwords. Passwords. Addresses. Addresses. Phone numbers and more. Toggle button. Press. You'll notice that this voice is breathing in a similar way to the way that Apple's Alex breathes. Payment methods and addresses using Google Pay. Payment methods and addresses using Google Pay. Toggle but Wi-Fi networks. Wi-Fi networks. No search results found. Ed settings. So that's all the different things that you can sync. Now, if you are deeply embedded in the ecosystem, you can understand why this is actually really handy because you can log in to another device, be it Android or even Chrome on your PC or your Mac or your smartphone, and all of these things will be in sync, which is highly convenient. There will be some people who just don't want to send this much data to Google, and that's a personal choice, and so you can obviously check these things manually. For now, I'm going to go back to... Radio button unselected. One of two. Sync everything. And check that. Radio button selected. One of two. Sync everything. And I'll press the back button. Manage what you sync. Subpage button. And the back button again. Press sync in Google services. Subpage button. Now we're on the main Google settings screen again, and I'll navigate right. Security and sign in, sign in automatically. Similar to other computers, you can sign in automatically if you want and configure security around that. I'll go right. Parental controls. Setup button. There's a suite of parental controls here. This is particularly important because Chromebook is well used now in education, and you may well want to set some constraints around when and what your kids can access. You can go in here and do that. So if you are a parent or an educator, let's take a look at what we have. Setup parental controls. Setup parental controls. We'll go right. Setup parental controls. Dialogue. Set up parental controls. Stay in the loop. List item. List. With three items. Supervise your child's device remotely with the Family Link app for parents. Set digital ground rules. List item. Keep an eye on screen time and set limits as needed. Guide your child to good content. List item.
I'm just right arrowing through these, so that's why there's a bit of a pause, but I can also press the letter R or the search key with R if I don't have sticky mode on to read all of this continuously. Add restrictions to Google services, like app approvals or content filters on Google Play. Cancel. Button. Getting started. Button. We'll go one level deeper and have a look at the getting started button. Getting started. Button. Press search plus space to activate. How to set up parental controls. Heading 1. Link your child's Google account with your own in a Google family group. I'll go right. Review the apps on this device and set filters. List from your own device. Remotely supervise your child and set more controls. Back. Button. Next. Button. And for now I'll go back. Press search plus. So I'll press the back key. That doesn't work on the screen. Can we press escape? Parental controls. We can. Set up button. I'll navigate right. Manage other people. Subpage button. This sounds pretty Orwellian. Let's go in and have a look at what it lets you do. No search results found. Manage other people subpage back button. And go right. Click to navigate. Manage other people. Heading 1. Enable guest browsing. Toggle button. Pressed. Even if you think you have no intention of getting a Chromebook, Listening to this tutorial may help you out if you ever get into a situation where maybe you're away from home, you have a desperate need to get on the internet, and somebody has a Chromebook. Now, guest mode is a brilliant idea because it allows a Chromebook user to lend you their computer, and you can log in as a guest. You won't have any access to any of the Chromebook owner's personal information. If you hand over your Chromebook when you are logged in, then obviously people can go to Gmail and they'll be logged in as you, all sorts of things. You could set up an incognito tab, but there's no real guarantee that somebody isn't going to close that incognito tab. So there's all sorts of data that belong to the individual who's handing over the Chromebook that might understandably make them nervous about being impersonated or data being looked at that's of a corporate nature, for example, that you just don't want other people to see. So guest mode means that a Chromebook user can hand over their Chromebook, log someone in as a guest. When the guest is done, it also protects them too, because when the guest logs out or the cookies are cleaned up, there's no trace there, so everybody's protected. Let's take a break from our look at the settings and show you how this works since we have encountered it in the settings. I'm going to hold down the power button. Feedback. Power off. Menu item. One of four. And it's made that sound to indicate that it is shutting down. So the Chromebook has shut down now and I'm going to tap the power button again. And the Chromebook is now booting up. So we'll let you hear how quickly this device does boot up. It's all solid state. We... There we go. Password for Jonathan at Moses. And now I'm going to press the tab key. Open info dialog for Jonathan at shut down button. Browse as guest button. And that's what we want. Browse as guest. So I'm going to press enter to do that. Address and search bar. Edit text. URL entry. What's happened here is that a clean Google Chrome tab has popped up and I'm at the address bar. And because I'm not logged on as me, all of my preferences are not here, including the voice. And that means that we've got the default Google voice 
and I can now browse around. If I went to Google, I would not be logged in as me. This is a clean way to give somebody your Chromebook to use the web. Chromevox, however, does stay on if it was on at the login screen. But what if you're getting a Chromebook from a sighted person to surf the web? Well, you just press your Control-Alt-Z when they say to you, here it is, I've logged you in as a guest. Please feel free to get done whatever you need to get done. All you need to know as a blind person is to press Control-Alt-Z to enable Chromevox and you will have speech. Obviously, you'll then need to know how to use Chromevox and that's why we are here. Can we get to the launcher in this mode? Let's try pressing Alt-Shift-L. Launcher, button, shelf, toolbar, window. We can get Press to the launcher. Plus space to active Google Chrome files. Status tray. Launcher. Google Chrome. But there's not too much here. It is a very stripped down version of the launcher. Launcher button. And we'll press the search key with the space bar. Search your device. App Chrome. But files. Camera. Settings. And on it goes. There are some settings you can control and some that are administrative in nature. So here we are, logged in as a guest. And now when I log out or restart the computer or just shut it down, anything I do here is not saved. So I'm going to hold down the power button. Power. Power off. Menu item. One of three. I'm just going to shut it down that way. And now I'm going to power the Chromebook back up. And we will wait to sign in at this point. It should remember, I believe, my default account. Password for... Yep, there we go. So I can enter my password now. Bullet. There we go. Bullet, 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 bullet. And press enter. Alert. Signing in. And because I'm signing in as me, you'll note that the voice that we've Mushroom been using FM. Yep, comes back and Mushroom FM loads, which is my home page in Chrome. So we're back in business. I'm going to turn sticky mode back on by pressing the search key twice. Sticky mode enabled. And now we'll go back to the launcher with Alt-Shift-L. Launcher, button, shelf, toolbar, window. The launcher has focus, so I'll activate it. Sticky mode disabled. And we will now go right. The reason why it says sticky mode disabled is because I'm on the launcher screen. The first focused item is a search box. And I can type in here what I'm looking for, as I've said, similar to the start menu in Windows to help me find what I want. But I'm going to go right. Settings. Button. And there's settings. 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 Sticky mode should be back on now. And if I press the letter H. Network. Heading to Bluetooth. Heading to connected devices. Heading to people. Heading to device. Heading to. Now I happen to know, because I've spent lots of happy hours in this <laughs> setting screen, that the manage people option is the last item in the people screen. So if I go left. Manage other people. Subpage button. There's manage other people. If you want to turn the guest mode off on your Chromebook for some reason, then you can go in and disable it. And when you do, the option on the sign-in screen to log in as a guest will not be visible. But it is kind of cool that you can go to any Chromebook, log in as a guest, and have speech. And it's a very good reason to have at least a rudimentary knowledge of Chromevox in your toolbox of tools 
so that you can perhaps, at a pinch, get internet access where you might need to. We'll go right. Device. Heading 2. And we can configure various device parameters. Touchpad. Subpage button. You may want to turn off the touchpad. I do find that on some laptops, the touchpad is so sensitive and the way it's positioned means that I accidentally touch it sometimes and go somewhere that I don't want to be. I've not found this on this particular Chromebook, so I haven't resorted to disabling the touchpad at this stage. The cool thing is that this is a user setting. And so if you log in as a guest or somebody else who's sighted and likes the touchpad logs in as them, then you having disabled the touchpad for your account won't affect that. Keyboard. Subpage button. Let's go in and have a look at the keyboard settings because there are a few items of interest here. Keyboard subpage back button. We'll go right. Keyboard. Heading one. Search. Button. Has pop up. With nine items. Collapsed. Press search plus space to activate. Let's expand this, and I find that it's often prudent to turn off sticky mode before doing this, so I'm going to do that. Sticky mode disabled. And now let's try expanding it. Search button has pop up with nine items expanded. Now I should be able to down arrow. Press search list box with eight items. Control list item two of eight. Alt list item three caps lock list item. 4 of 8. Escape. List item. Backspace. List item. Assistant. List item. Disabled. List item. 8 of 8. Now, as far as I can tell, this determines what the search key does. So you want to be really careful with this. I'm too nervous to change it to find out whether there's some sort of protection on this when Chromevox is running, because in theory, you might lock yourself out. So I'm not going to change this, but this seems to govern what the search key does. Some people might like the search key as a caps lock key, for instance. A sighted person might appreciate that because that's the traditional function of where the search key is positioned. I'm going to escape out of this. Search button. And we'll go right. Control button has pop up. Similarly, you can remap the control key. Alt button. Escape button has pop up with nine items collapsed. All these choices have nine items. So if you want to remap your keys, you are able to do that. If I was going to do this, if I was brave enough to try, and I don't really want to, to be honest, because it makes a lot of sense to have the key that is in the caps lock position as a screen reader modifier. Most of us are used to that but I would probably map the search key first to another key and then undefine the original search key. Backspace button has pop up with nine items. Tree top row keys as function keys. Toggle button not pressed. Hold the search key to switch the behavior of the top row keys. If you want to, you can hold down the search key and press the function keys to get traditional function keys functions. I've not found a reason to do this in Chrome OS, but if you want to, you can. And if you would rather have the function keys perform their traditional function, in other words, switch it around so that if you wanted to turn the volume up, for example, you would have to hold down the search key and then press the keys for volume up and down. You can do that here. Let's navigate, right? Enable auto repeat. Toggle button. Pressed. Delay before repeat. Slider. Long to short. 500. 
This is a very handy feature to adjust if you have a tendency to rest on the key. Perhaps it's difficult for you to let your fingers off the key. Then this could be a very handy feature. Alternatively, if you have cause to hold a key down for some reason and enter a lot of recurrences of that key, you may want to speed the process up. Repeat rate. Slider. Slow to fast. 50. View keyboard shortcuts. Link. Press search plus space to activate. This is another place that you can go to view the list of keyboard shortcuts. If you would rather, you could use another device to search for keyboard shortcuts for Chrome OS and they will come right up in a nice table. And you can use the screen reader that you may be more familiar with as you start to learn ChromeVox to traverse those keys and understand what they are. And it sometimes can be more handy to have a separate device to review these shortcut keys on while you're learning another one. Change input settings. Subpage button. Let's go in here and have a look at the input settings. Input subpage back button. I'll go Click. right. Inputs. Heading 1. Show input options in the shelf. Toggle button. Not pressed. Input methods. Heading 2. English US enabled. Button. Open settings page for English US. Button. Remove English US. Button. English UK. Button. Open settings page for English UK. Remove English UK. Button. Add input methods. Button. And so you can add other input methods as well. If you work with other languages and you want to set up a keyboard for that language, here is the place to do that. Spell check. Toggle button. Pressed. Spell check languages. Languages for spell check are based on your language preference. English United Kingdom. Toggle button. Pressed. List. With zero items. Enhanced spell check in Chrome browser. Text is sent to Google for spelling suggestions. Toggle button. Not pressed. Now I am pleased that the Chromebook has figured this out because even though I've chosen English US as the language, I do want English UK as my spell check language because Americans do spell some words differently from most of the rest of the English-speaking world. Customize spell check. Subpage button. Settings. And then it's wrapped around again. So that's what you can do in the input settings. I'll press the back key, which is assigned to F1. Change input settings. Subpage button. And we'll go right. Settings. And it's wrapped around again. So I'll press the back button again. Keyboard. And we're right back on keyboard. I do like the fact that the focus is so consistent. Displays. Subpage button. There are some display settings in here, which I will skip as a speech user. But if that interests you, you can investigate that in the settings. Storage management. Subpage button. Let's take a look at storage management. I will press that button. Storage management subpage back button. And we'll go right. Storage management. Heading one. Storage usage overview. In use 12.9 gigabytes available 19.1 gigabytes. Progress indicator. My files 0B. Link. Browsing data 16.7 megabytes. Link. Apps and extensions 41.0 megabytes. Link. 12.9 12.9 gigabytes. System. Settings. Storage management. Exited main. That is something to take into account when you're choosing how much storage that you might want to have on your Chromebook. There is an expectation with Chromebooks that most of the services, the features you'll be using are cloud-based. But if you do need to store data locally, say media files or something like that, beware 
that the capacity of your Chromebook also has to accommodate the operating system and other data files that you can't remove, and that's taking up about 12 gigs. I'll go back. Storage management. Subpage button. And navigate to the right. Power. Subpage button. Take a look at power options. Power subpage back button. Power. Heading 1. Battery. 80% 8 hours and 35 minutes left. We'll go right once more. When idle. True. Idle action while charging. Sleep. Button. Idle action while on battery. Sleep. Button. Sleep when cover is closed. Toggle button. Pressed. Just like many other operating systems, you have the option as to what happens when you close the lid. It's defaulting to going to sleep, which means that it wakes up very quickly. In fact, I'll show you that now. I'll close the lid of the Chromebook, and we get no sound or anything like that, but the lid is closed, and the device is now sleeping. If I raise the lid, and I'm doing that right now. Not connected to network. Alert. Connecting to Manand with E5G. Alert. Connected to Manand. It's virtually instant. And are we in the right place? Settings. Sleep when cover is closed. Yes, we are. So, I mean, that is amazing. It resumes from startup almost instantly. It takes me back exactly to where I were before. The screen reader Chromevox is behaving well. That is a very slick resumption from sleep. I wish I could resume from sleep that way. I'll press the back button. Power. Subpage button. And continue to navigate. Personalization. Heading 2. Change device account image. Subpage button. Wallpaper open the wallpaper app. Link. Search engine. Heading 2. Preferred search engine. Button. Google. This is a Google product, so understandably Google is the default search engine. But let's see how configurable it is. Settings. Dialog. Preferred search engine. Set your default search engine for Chrome browser and Chromebook launcher. Preferred search engine. Google. Button. Has pop-up. With three items. Collapsed. There aren't that many search engines built in. I'll just turn sticky mode off. Sticky mode disabled. And we'll go into this list. Preferred search engine. Button. Has pop-up. With three items. Expanded. We should be able to down arrow now. List box. With three items. Bing. List item. Two of three. Yahoo. List item. Three of three. All right, so we'll go back to Google. Google. And press enter. Preferred search engine. Google. And we'll continue to navigate, right? I'll turn my sticky mode back on. Sticky mode enabled. Cancel. Button. Done. Button. That's what we have. And interestingly, there's a cancel and a done button with this one. Dialog. Done. Button. Settings. Settings. Heading 1. Banner. Search settings. Network. Link. Now we've lost focus, actually, and it's gone to the top of the screen. So I'll just navigate by heading. Network. Bluetooth. Connect. People. Device. Personalization. Change device account image. Su- wallpaper. Search engine. Preferred search engine. Button. Apps. Heading 2. Manage your apps. Subpage button. This is pretty typical of all operating systems where you have the ability to look at what apps are installed and remove them. Those apps could be various things actually on a Chromebook. They may have come from the Google Play Store, and we will take a look at that at some point in this series. They may be simply web pages. Some things that appear on your shelf or in your Chromebook as applications are nothing more than links to a particular page on the web. 
And I'm not suggesting there's any subterfuge or anything in that. It's as it should be because Chromebooks are all about cloud-based applications. And these days, all you need to do to get really good quality applications is to go to a particular place on the web. So other than the space that the shortcuts takes up on your Chromebook, which is just totally negligible, the app can consume zero bytes of data on your actual device. Google Play Store. Install apps and games from Google Play on your Chromebook. Learn more. Link. Google Play Store. Button. Install apps and... We will get back to the Google Play Store. Developers. Heading to Linux Development Environment Beta. Run Linux tools, editors, and IDEs in your Chromebook. Learn more. Link. Chrome OS under the hood is Linux-based. And so this is an exciting development for many developers who want to be able to run Linux tools on a Chromebook. They typically don't take a lot of CPU power, so it's ideal, really. Advanced. Expanded. And let's have a look at the advanced settings. Date and time. Heading to. I'm not sure why date and time is under advanced, but okay. Time zone. Use your IP address to determine location default. Subpage button. And that indeed does work. Use 24-hour clock. Toggle button. Press. I'm actually going to uncheck that. Use 24-hour clock. Toggle button. Not press. And go right. Privacy and security. Heading to. Help improve Chrome OS features and performance. Toggle button. Pressed. Includes apps, web pages, and more. Send statistics to improve suggestions only if you've chosen to share usage data. Learn more. Link. Suggest new content to explore. Toggle button. Press. I don't want that. Suggest new content to explore. Toggle button. Not pressed. Enable verified access. Toggle button. Pressed. I had to do a bit of research about what this setting does, because I'm a curious kind of soul. And what it appears to relate to is that some media providers do use the setting to verify the authenticity of your device and your account. So if you're consuming some content on your Chromebook, then verified access is a good thing to keep on. Languages and inputs. Heading to Languages English, United Kingdom. Subpage button. Inputs English, US. Subpage button. Suggestions. Subpage button. Files. Heading to. Disconnect Google Drive account. Toggle button. Not pressed. Understandably, again, because this is a Google device, Google Drive is built into the ecosystem. So if you want, you can install other Google Drive applications on other devices so that it's easy to share files with your Chromebook. I'm not really a Google Drive user. I'm a big Dropbox fan, and I also have OneDrive because I have Microsoft Office 365, and it gives me a free terabyte of storage with OneDrive as part of that. However, there are other things you can do. You can download the Dropbox Android app from the Google Play Store and install that on your Chromebook. You can also connect network-attached storage devices or even other computers that you want to share access with. So if I go right... Network file shares. Subpage button. And we'll activate this button. Network file shares subpage back button. Network file shares. Heading 1. I'm navigating right. Set up or manage network file shares. Learn more. Link. Add file share. Button. I have a network-attached storage device, a Synology device, and I can add that here 
so that it will appear in the Google Files app. And when we come back to the Files app, I may well do that just so that we have some material to browse. For now, I'll press the back button. Network file shares. Subpage button. And I'll continue to navigate the settings screen. Printing. Heading to. Printers. Subpage button. So you can add network or other printers to your Chromebook if you still do some printing. Print jobs view and manage print jobs. Link. Scan scan documents and images. Link. Now this is something I have not tried yet, but you can use OCR with this as well. Accessibility. Heading to. We've had a look at accessibility before, so I'm going to skip this heading. I'll press H. I have sticky mode enabled. Reset settings. Heading to. Power wash. Reset button. Settings. And now we're back around to the settings. So those are the settings that are available in Chrome OS. Mosin at Large Podcast. Hello, Jonathan. This is Kim Polk. Thank you so much for your fantastic platform, which gives all of us a chance to get to know each other better and determine trends and share ideas. One of your listeners recently asked if there is an easier way to scan items with the phone. I first learned the strategy I still use today in documentation for the old app Digit Eyes. The instructions invited me to place the camera on the sheet of paper, which of course you orient the two sides of the camera with the two sheets of the paper and then lift the phone straight up without tilting it in any direction. And you will get pretty excellent results each time as you back the camera away. You can do the same thing whether you are holding currency in your palm of your hand, place the phone on the currency in your hand, and just back it up at exactly the same angle you are holding it at. These methods are great for even a poster at a wall, a box, something is on the side of a box, whatever the angle of the object, to align your phone to the object, use one edge of it, or preferably two, any two edges, and then back the camera away. I hope this proves helpful, and if someone has a better idea, I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Thank you very much, Kim, for those tips. Really good ones, too. One thing I would suggest for scanning certain smaller things, like currency, is that it can help if you lie your phone flat on a table with the camera facing upwards and then you just hover what you want to scan over the camera. And if I've got a lot of notes to scan quickly, $20 notes, $10 notes, when I'm allowed money, (laughs) then it's really easy to scan a whole lot of them quickly that way. It can also help for doing very quick scans of mail when you just want to know roughly what something is. And I do that when I'm sorting the mail with Seeing AI or Envision or now on my Android phone with Lookout. And that really does help. So that's another technique to try. You will remember that we read an email where an anonymous contributor was talking about a colleague that they work with who cries about the fact that this person is blind. Hi, Jonathan Eden here. I can empathize with this person who has a friend who seems to pity their blindness. I've encountered this several times. Sighted people have wanted to take care of tasks for me, and when I would politely decline, I've seen two different grown men burst into tears. If I recall correctly, 
One wanted to pray for my sight back, and the other was hurt because I politely declined his help being guided somewhere. As for friends or colleagues doing this, I'm thankful to have not encountered it. I'm afraid I was very frustrated with the men and probably didn't handle them correctly, especially the one who wanted to pray for me. It was embarrassing as he was making a scene in public. I would just encourage your listener to seriously have a talk with her, anxiety attack or not. Perhaps the person could ask exactly what concerns his friend so much about his blindness. Assure her she can be open and not judged, but I think if the person has to be continually dealt with, if you aren't able to discuss it, the problem will continue. I know your listener has talked to the friend before, but maybe prefacing any conversation by assuring the person that he is not easily offended and would be happy to answer questions or concerns she has about blindness. My guess is she thinks the listener's life is overwhelmingly difficult without sight. Perhaps by talking through and dispelling it, future issues can be quelled in advance. Thanks for the contribution, Eden, and now look what you've gone and done and put in my head. Here's a thought-provoking email from Lachlan Thomas in Australia. He says, Hi Jonathan, in some states of Australia, daylight saving time started last night. Back in the mid-90s, there was a fire safety campaign in the media in which a man with a broad Australian accent would repetitiously say, Change your clocks, change your smoke alarm battery. Last night, I did replace my smoke alarm batteries before changing the clocks. This morning, something occurred to me. In the USA, I know you can buy smoke alarm devices for deaf people. Typically, these devices listen out for the sound of an existing smoke alarm. When a smoke alarm sounds, these repeater devices will then sound a loud, low-pitched alarm. Some have strobe lights that flash, and many of them also have a bed shaker, which you'd place under your bed. So, if you're sleeping and the smoke alarm sound, you'll be woken by the vibration, and you may even hear the alarm sound without your hearing aids in. I assume you sleep without your hearing aids. Do you have access to such a smoke alarm device for the deaf? If not... Do you have any safety protocols in place to ensure you're alerted if a fire breaks out in your house while you're sleeping? I think Vision Australia was selling a device like this over 10 years ago, but I don't think they sell them anymore. Thanks, Lachlan. Well, I have Bonnie, and so I would expect that she would wake up if the smoke alarm goes off, and I expect the dog would go a bit berserk as well. But it is a really interesting point, and if people have device recommendations that work for them as a blind person who wears hearing aids, or indeed a fully deaf-blind person, that would be really good to hear about gadgets in this space. Hi Jonathan, this is Sunil in the UK. Hope you're doing alright. I just wanted to get your thoughts on VPNs. I've been using Surfshark for about six months, which has been great on my iPhone. It was easy to install, it's easy to configure... And I've been able to listen to radio stations in America, which I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do because of it. But I've found lately that I can't listen to streams from the BBC, even though I'm in the UK. Um, And that's when I am connected to a UK server. I get a message saying that the broadcast is unavailable for rights reasons. But I can listen once I've 
disconnected. And I just wondered whether it might only be a matter of time before other providers started blocking you from listening to streams when they detect that you're connected via a, a VPN, um, which would be a shame. And also, it'd be good to know if you have any recommendations for other VPNs which I could use, which would enable me to listen to the BBC in the UK um, without having to disconnect. Good question, Sunil, and very nice to hear from you as well. You are striking the cat and mouse game that VPN providers are playing with the BBC. They've got some pretty good technology in place, have the Beeb, at trying to detect and thwart VPN technology. I use Surfshark myself, and I agree with you. It's a great VPN provider. The speeds are very good. It's accessible on iOS, and the price is right, too. It's not that expensive. So they're a great company. And in the past, I have been able to get BBC Streams this way. I haven't tried recently, but it may be that if you try a different server in the UK, you will have better results. Otherwise, I would let the Surfshark people know that you're experiencing this and see what they suggest. If they do have a suggestion that works for you, please feel free to pass it on and tell us what they said. I don't have any other recommendations for you for a while. I was using a thing called HMA, which stands for Hide My Ass, <laughs> and that is a very good provider as well. And I've used another one called Private Internet Access, PIA VPN. That was quite accessible on iOS as well. So there are a number of VPN options. One option you also have is to use a domain name service provider that circumvents geo-blocking. And I've used a few of these as well. And the big advantage of this is that they don't slow you down because you're not connected to a VPN. The best thing to do with these is to go to your router level. If you've got a router that lets you change DNS, you plug their DNS into your router and make sure that you're logged into the service that you've subscribed to. And then you're good to go. That's all there is to it. No speed degradation. And it all just works. It's all just set and forget. And those are pretty reliable, actually. The two providers in this space that seem still to be quite robust are a thing called VIP DNS Club and Smart DNS Proxy. So you could check those out as well. That soothing music heralds another visit to the studio from Bonnie Mosin with another Bonnie Bulletin. Hi, guys. How are you getting on? Good. That's very good. It just doesn't seem like it's worth doing anything else other than listening to the ABBA album, does it? <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, you happy with that? Yeah, yeah. It was, you did a really, for those that missed it yesterday, or Friday, rather, you did a really good show with Jackie Brown from the UK on the, the ABBA album release. We had fun. In fact, I had dinner with Jackie Brown at Site Village. We're having some debate about when that was. <laughs> she says it was 2008. All right, I mean, I'll take a word for it. And we talked at that dinner extensively about ABBA, and I learned from that dinner that she was a major ABBA fan, and so when ABBA came out with their first album in 40 years, it just seemed natural to get Jackie yeah. on there, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and she had some really good memories. What's your favorite ABBA track off that album? I don't know, because I don't know all their names. I see. So I'd have to go through and listen again. Notion's kind of growing on me. Just a notion. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's an interesting track because 
It was done in 1978, and there have been little bits of outtake of it around the place on the tube of you and various things like that. But they've done a new backing track, and they've put it out there. It's got this kind of boogie-woogie rock yeah. and roll kind of feel. It's, it is, I didn't really dig it when I first heard no. it. Now I'm quite into it. The Ode to Freedom's good. Yeah, where they've ripped off a bit of Swan Lake yeah. there by the sounds of it. Yeah, and which is the – is that the one with the Fernando kind of flutey in it? No, that one is called Bumblebee, okay. and it's a song about global warming. Yeah. And we're going to play that this week on Small World on Mushroom cool. Escape, the kids' program for the whole family, because I predict that that Bumblebee song is going to be performed and sung by school kids all around the world next year. Now, you like to peep, uh, keep an eye on Dan as well, Yeah, I think. that was a good song. Yeah. Yeah. And the one about the dog. Oh, I Can Be That Woman. My yeah. goodness, that is an amazing song. It's such a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking track. Uh, it's just so good to have it. So good to have it. And the Dolby Atmos mixes are wonderful. What else are we talking about today? Um, well, the Braves won the World Series. So oh, yes. I've been, yes. I've been watching the parade in Atlanta this morning. They had a, a parade for the Braves and went all the way from downtown all the way out to the Braves seat, the Truist Field and the Battery out in Cobb County. The schools are closed and everybody's happy. Oh, that's wonderful. So they actually closed the they schools. They did. They closed schools. Yeah. Because yeah. it's find been this... 20, 26 years. Really? Well, that's a long time. I was living in Atlanta at the time. Um, and I lived on Peachtree Street, about a block from the Fox Theater. So I went to the parade then. I walked down, <laughs> just walked downstairs, crossed the street, and here they came. And um, it's always funny because. David Justice, who was one of the players at the time, they were throwing candy. There's a blind guy called David Is Justice there? who wrote this really cool reading app that I used to use oh. in, I, in DOS. I don't think it's the same guy, though. I don't think so, no. <laughs> but they were throwing candy, and I got hit by a Tootsie Roll. But I didn't get it because, like, five million people dived for it. And I'm sure that someone has a bronze on their mantelpiece somewhere, <laughs> you know, will sell it as a collect collector's item, but I would have eaten it. But that was really, really special. So they actually won. They won away from Atlanta the same way they did, same way they did this time. And there was a, apparently they were, the news media was talking about a little boy who had, had an eight-year-old boy who had a sign that says, I wasn't alive in 95, but I'm here today. <laughs> so that was kind of cute, but. Yeah, That's and my, my dad was a humongous Braves fan. So I remember calling him that night. And then the last time they were in the World Series and they lost was 99. So, um, you know, I think a lot about my dad now with them winning again. Wow. They lost to the Yankees in 99. Oh, dear. That yeah. would have been yeah. most annoying for people yes. since people's hatred of the Yankees seems quite irrational to yeah. me. But uh, I find this World Series thing very cute. And I'm not dissing it or anything. I just find it cute because in the meantime, New Zealand and Australia and England and India and Scotland and Namibia and Afghanistan and Pakistan. did I say Pakistan? A whole lot of countries that I've I missed out some, Wales. I'm sure. Wales? Wales? No, that's rugby. Oh, that's rugby. Sorry. <laughs> Scotland. But, there's a whole lot of teams playing the World Cup of Cricket at the United Arab Emirates at the moment. Well, this is the 2020 version of the game. So broadly speaking, there are three versions of the game of cricket. This is the, the shortest one. So it's the one that people with short spans of attention seem to be able to stomach. It's funny, every time I talk about cricket to Americans, somebody will pop up and say, but you have a game that can last for five days and not even have a result at the end of it. Mm -hmm. you know. But 
at least it's a World Cup. I mean, when we talk about a World Cup, there are teams from all around the world and people get excited about the World Series of Baseball has got two American teams in it. And, of course, this weekend is the Breeders' Cup World Championships of Racing, which is two days. And is that a real world yes, or is it, it just is. the American no, world? No, it's really. They fly in from Europe and all this, all over the place. All right. So, all right. yeah, that's Del Mar. And just watched. It wasn't one of the Breeders' Cup races, but it was the first race on the card today. A horse called Triple Tap one it's a son of american pharaoh or i'm sorry not a son of american pharaoh half brother to american pharaoh how did it get that name i wonder uh his father's name's tappet right that's really interesting yeah and a lot of times in horse so races, some sort of screen reader function. <laughs> so i was like oh i love that name but yeah it a lot of times in horse racing they take the name of the the dam and the sire and combine it and you also cool. wanted to talk about Chromebooks. Yeah, it's they're very cool. I know in the States, a lot of the school districts are giving them to kids. Oh, it's the same here too. Yeah. That's okay. why Chromebook shipments are just so high at the moment because a lot were bought for kids who were doing school from home mm -hmm. and they're affordable, you know, yeah. they're, they're quite functional. And I think for anybody who, a blind person, I think it's definitely a very viable option. If you're just wanting something to... Surf the web, do email, light word processing. I think it's definitely a very viable option. Yeah, I think so. It's great that we have these choices. Yeah. And I think that people associate the ChromeVox experience with the old ChromeVox extension that used to be in the Chrome store. Mm -hmm. And that is just not the case anymore. What we call ChromeVox on a Chromebook is now completely different in terms of its user experience from that old extension that used to be in the mm -hmm. Chrome store. So that's the trouble. You only get one chance to make a first impression. And when something's changed substantially, it's quite hard to shake that impression yeah, off. Yeah, it is. It's very robust. I was, you know, looking at it the other day and it almost looks like a toy computer, kind of, you know, with the sort of heavy plastic. So I guess that's why for kids, you know, it's really, really good. It's not like a $3,000 piece of machinery that you're going to drop. Right, and that's exactly by design that yeah. this can be shoved in a backpack or whatever, be bumped around a little bit. Kids can be rough with them, and they are pretty resilient. Yeah, and they're about, what, 300 Or You can get them cheaper than that in the States, I think. Yeah, you can get uh, – I can't remember what we paid in New Zealand dollars. It was like but three or four. There's a range of price points for them, depending on what you get, whether you get a touchscreen, and we chose not to get a touchscreen. Obviously, there are different speeds, CPU, RAM, storage, that kind of thing. But at entry-level, Chromebook is a really good price point. Yeah. And laptops have really gone down in price. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, they were quite expensive. And now, you know, you can go down to Walmart or go down to wherever and pick up one, three, four hundred $400. You know, yeah. it's not going to be the fanciest, obviously, but, you know, for the average person. No, for sure. And, of course, you've got a quite reasonable screen reader in the mm -hmm. racer now. Yeah, and NVDA. And yeah. And yeah. so if you want to, you can get a Windows laptop. It might be a wee bit bulky. It may have a minimal amount of RAM and it may have a mechanical hard like drive, but it's sure better than not being online <laughs> or connected at all. Yes. Should I give an update on Eclipse? Oh, sure, if you want yeah. to, yes. Um, I think I had talked last week that Eclipse had had surgery. She's been diagnosed with what's called a mast cell tumor, which is cancer. There are three grades of it. So she does have the lowest grade, which is good, but... She does have to have the entire tumor removed, which is going to happen this coming Tuesday. The tricky part of is because of where it is. It's on her ankle. 
and there's just not a lot of meat there. So, you know, recovery and trying to close up the wound is going to be tricky. So she's going to have massive bandaging and fentanyl patch on her tail. And um, so, you know, just good vibes and good thoughts for her. She's recovered very well from the last surgery. So I'm hoping that we have the same thing with this one, although I know it's going to be a little bit rougher because of where it is and how what they have to do to get clean margins and just hoping that they get the clean margins, because if they can't, and it is tricky on this one, she may have to have some chemo just to make sure that we've gotten done everything we can. And that's the chemo is kind of the worst case scenario because they always tell you the worst case scenario. So just really hoping that she is uh, back. She is her normal self, though she's on prednisone and antihistamines right now. So a little dopey, but just hoping she is back to herself by Christmas. The prognosis is good, though. The prognosis so is good. Yeah, positive. it is good. It is yeah. positive. Yeah. You never know what you're dealing with, unfortunately. Mm. But it is positive. She's young. She's healthy. She has a good attitude. So, you know. We keep hope alive. Yeah. Like the show? Then why not like it on Facebook, too? Get upcoming show announcements, useful links, and a bit of conversation. Head on over now to facebook.com slash large. That's facebook.com slash M-O-S-E-N at large to stay connected between episodes. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for your tip recently about uh, using my Apple Watch to solve my chimes problem. Uh, I have done that and that's working uh, quite well, although I would prefer the Westminster Chimes app to come back, uh, which it may do. Not It hasn't done in iOS 15.1, but it may do in a later uh, version. I wanted, though, today to show you an app for the watch called Streamlets. And uh, this is a very handy little app because it allows you to stream radio stations directly to your watch. Now, if you have a cellular uh, Apple Watch, then you can listen to radio stations on the watch without having your phone with you. Or if you don't, you can have your phone within, I think, a 30 metre radius roughly and stream the radio stations through the phone to your watch. You can use this app with the speaker of the watch or through headphones and I've put it on my dock. So let me show you. 11.59am and 42 seconds. Dock. Come up. Here we go. Messages. Timers. Calendar. Home. Weather. Streamlets. Actions. There it is. Streamlets. Back button. Favorites. Heading. You have two sections when you go into the app. Favorites or... ABC Local Radio 702 Sydney. Oh, ABC. and that, that's one of my favorites. So um, ABC News Radio. Button. we can go to that or we can go to this one. And in a moment, it will start. There we go. Look at that. It's the mushroom. Um, it's quite easy to put radio stations on the app. It's not letting me go back now. There we go. Back further. You can use this button, which is just tap here and do a search by voice, or you can use the flip type keyboard on the watch. Mushroom escape. Search button. Search button. Mushroom escape button. Search button. Search that. Mushroom escape. 128 kbps. And MP3. there we go. I can click on that. Love button. Love button. 
Court's discretion, sir. There we go. And if you want to favourite Mushroom Escape, you press the the love button and it favourites it. And if you want to unfavourite it, then you press the love button again. So a nice little app, handy if you want to listen to a radio station. And it's got hundreds of thousands of stations from around the world. Thanks for the review, Graham. I am rocking this app as well, enjoying it a lot. I particularly like the fact that it uses the speaker of the Apple Watch as an option which for spoken word content is perfectly adequate. The name of the app, Streamlets, S-T-R-E-A-M-L-E-T-S, and it's available for purchase in the App Store. If I was feeling brave, I could play the Van Halen song, Jump, as a precursor to this email, but we can't do that on a podcast, so I'll just read this email from Dan, and it says, Hi, Jonathan, the demonstration of Jump Desktop that you had on episode 151 was encouraging for me, as I've been looking for an app to connect remotely to my Macs I have here for years. I've tried it in 2018, but didn't have much success with it back then, I couldn't get audio from the machine I was connecting to. The demo on your podcast inspired me to give it another go. I was connecting from my MacBook Air to a Mac Mini that I have here. I could hear audio just fine from my other Mac, but when it came to getting full keyboard control, I could do things such as Command-Tab and use standard Mac OS keystrokes. But when I tried using VoiceOver for commands such as VO space or VOD, for example, those for some reason weren't getting passed to the remote system. They were being captured by the local system. If I could solve these issues for getting total keyboard control of the system I'm connected to, I think Jump Desktop will be the solution I've been looking for for years. Any feedback on this would be appreciated. Thanks so much, Dan. I haven't used Jump Desktop myself But based on the demo, I'm not sure that what you want to do is possible, but we'll throw it out there and see if any jump desktop experts can comment further. If you have Nari's disease or a similar degenerative hearing condition, this could be very interesting. Amanda, my ex-wife, sent this to me, as did David Goldfield. David said, I immediately thought of you when I saw this article. It's from the Hearing Impairment News section of the Science Daily from the 6th of October 2021. And it's headlined, Scientists Identify Role of Protein Behind Rare Norrie Disease and Find Clues for Treating Hearing Loss. And the article says, A team of mass eye and ear scientists, led by Albert Edge, PhD, working with research fellow Yushi Hayashi, MD, PhD, has identified the mechanism that can lead to a rare syndrome, Norrie Disease. The researchers found that the Norrie disease protein, NDP, which is lacking in patients with the rare disease, is essential for the maintenance and survival of hair cells in the cochlea, the cells responsible for hearing. They also found that a pathway, believed to be vital for hair cell regeneration, known as the WNT pathway, could mimic the effects of NDP, by restoring hearing in deaf mice with Norrie syndrome. This method and another technique that overexpressed NDP in nearby cells were both able to prevent and rescue hearing loss. The new discoveries, published in the September 28 issue of PNAS, 
may lead to promising treatment targets for the incurable disease and other forms of profound hearing loss. Norrie disease is an inherited disorder caused by more than 100 different mutations in the NDP gene that can lead to blindness, deafness and intellectual disability in males. While infants with Norrie disease are born blind, their hearing is typically normal at birth and progressively deteriorates to profound loss by an average age of 12 years. The hearing loss can be particularly devastating for the families with an affected child. Previously, researchers had thought that vascular issues caused by Norrie disease are what led to vision and hearing loss. However, the new findings suggest a lack of NDP is what causes hair cells to deteriorate and ultimately leads to deafness. By learning more about the role of this protein in hair cell loss, the researchers were able to target two pathways that effectively prevented and reversed hearing loss in mouse models with Norrie disease. So that's interesting, isn't it? Goodness knows how long it will take for any kind of treatment to become available, but that is quite intriguing indeed. So thank you, David, for sending that along. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. Matthew Whitaker is back and says, hello, hope all is well. I just wanted to send this email regarding an update with Clubhouse. I think all of you will be happy about. Woo! There is now a new music option in the audio quality section when you are in a room. This allows for use with stereo equipment plugged into iOS or iPadOS devices. Hope you can do a demo of that or session on Clubhouse showcasing that feature and the many others that the team keep adding on. Also, for those who use Mac or Windows computers, Club Deck, the desktop version of Clubhouse, is great. I use it on both OSs. Hope to hear from you and other listeners of this podcast. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Matthew. Well, I don't think I'll do a demo of this. You can hear it in action just by going to Clubhouse. I must admit, I seldom do these days. Clubhouse really has declined quite quickly in its prominence and usage. But the audio quality, I did pop in and hear somebody using it. It does sound quite good. I would just say, though, that Club Deck is not an official Clubhouse app. It is made by a third party. I have seen it break from time to time. Some months ago, it went down for quite a period because Clubhouse plugged a little loophole that Club Deck was using in order to get into Clubhouse because it isn't official. It does seem maybe, though, that Clubhouse is sort of tolerating Club Deck now and that they may have come to an understanding of some kind. So that's good if that's the case. But really, I think it would be good if Clubhouse released an official app for iOS and Android that they themselves made. I do think that as long as there is a future in this sort of space, Twitter Spaces is ramping up quite nicely and it's available on multiple platforms. They have some pretty innovative features going on there. And I just wonder whether Clubhouse is going to struggle going forward. Certainly when I go on there occasionally to have a look, it seems like a lot of get-rich-quick schemes and you know, grow your business or expand your podcast. And it's all very money-driven. And a lot of that community seems to have gone away now. Hey, Jonathan. So I have two things here on the Android front for you. Uh, The first is answering the person's question about notifications. So I think the issue is when you have 
notifications, sometimes they're grouped together and you'll hear it in a long group. So like, for example, and a lot of times it happens to me when they're silent notifications. For example, I may wake up in the morning and hear Google news, something, you know, an article, and then hear something from Twitter and something from a baseball app that I have. And they're all like bunched together. And if you try to do the actions and and uh, expand, it doesn't really expand. They just stay hidden. And this is on my Galaxy Z Fold 3, but I think it's going to be the same for the gentleman or lady that had the Samsung phone that they were using. The way that you would view these notifications is, and it, it took me a long time to figure this out. I'm ashamed to say, but I figured it out. You just swipe up with two fingers. So when you, when you see that, you do like a scroll up and it basically opens those notifications. It'll make like the scrolling sound and then you'll be able to see the the notifications and you can expand them from there or uh, whatever you want to do. So it basically just shows you more of the notification. I had no idea this was a thing until I just kind of experimented and played with it. But I was, I was very frustrated with notifications as well on Android because I was like, how does this work? And then I figured it out. The second thing is, and I can't take credit for this, Ed Green showed me this um, on the list that, that we're on, and I love this feature. A few caveats to this. If there's an advertisement on the screen, like something where, like, let's say you're looking at a newspaper website and they're offering you a subscription, it won't read it then. But, you know, most articles within Chrome or the Google News app or the Google Now feed if you open it and you invoke the Google Assistant, you can say, read this article to me. Uh, the first time you do have to agree to some terms and you have to allow it the permission to, to view your screen. Once you do this, it will read the article. And what's really cool about it, it's much like Voxmate in the sense that it trims out a lot of the fat. Something that kind of annoys me about reading an article these days is you get all that Twitter nonsense when someone tweets something, uh, they, they like throw that in the article, they throw advertisements, of course. And my experiences with lately with voiceover, or, or and sometimes there's even videos, but my experience with voiceover and talkback has kind of weaned a lot lately in the, the, the enjoyment of reading articles just because there's so much like, I, I'm just going to call it fat in there. So with this, this read this article to me, you just basically get the, the heart and soul of the article and it's it's wonderful. The other thing that you can do is on, on the bottom of the screen, it has play pause. You can change the narration speed. So by default, it's kind of slow. You expand that up and then you can take two fingers and sort of uh, scroll that to the left and right and change the reading speed. Uh, I have mine set at about 1.8, and, and it's it's pretty good. And the, the voice is really good on that. Hey, Jonathan, it's Marissa. I wanted to ask your listeners if they use the Digit Eyes application on their iPhone or if there are any better barcode scanning applications. I've had some luck with seeing AI, but not as much as I would like to. And yes, just in case you're wondering, I am that Marissa. The one that asked for the help with the white cane and the one that has sent contributions on other things. I never forget a face, Marissa. <laughs> Seriously, it's good to hear your voice. I haven't seen Digitize being updated for some time, but I think it still works quite well. Sometimes people frown on apps that don't get an update for a while. 
But as far as I know, it's still quite functional, but I look forward to hearing other people's reflections on this. Seeing AI used to work really well for me with barcode scanning, and not 100%, but quite well. But in recent months, I have not been able to get Seeing AI to recognize a single barcode. That is to say, it scans the barcode, but then it keeps saying that it's not found in its database. I don't know what's happened there, but it does appear to be a significant deterioration at least in this part of the world, in terms of what it's recognizing. Envision, on the other hand, is doing pretty well for me. If I use the Envision AI app and do barcode scanning there, it seems to do a really good job a lot of the time. So please share what barcode solutions are working well for you on your iPhone. I love to hear from you, so if you have any comments you want to contribute to the show, drop me an email written down or with an audio attachment to jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at mushroomfm.com. If you'd rather call in, use the listener line number in the United States, 864-606-6736. Mosey Network.